I think we're sitting on the frontier of something new. I, I believe that in the not too distant future, cameras will be an ubiquitous on every plant floor everywhere. And the world will start seeing, and I, <laughs> I play a play of words on, on seeing from all of this data, and we will transform manufacturing in a very fundamental way. Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76. A few weeks ago, my seven-year-old daughter, Grace, came home from school telling me about how her first grade teacher had brought in something called a typewriter that day. Grace went on to explain what it was and how it worked and how long, long ago people used to use these things instead of computers. While I entertained Grace, I also thought to my 39-year-old self, huh, I'm kind of spoiled. I just missed that era, and I can't really imagine typing without the ability to correct my mistakes that happen just about every other word, and even those little red and green squiggly lines that point out my spelling mistakes and grammatical errors are pretty darn helpful at empowering me to produce a better end product. Well, my guest today is going to talk about this same idea but in the setting of a manufacturing production environment. In fact, the Microsoft Word spell check analogy is one he'll share in this conversation to illustrate a key point. And that is, technology is not there to replace people. It's there to empower them to be more effective and efficient and to be a contributor in producing a better final product. Let me introduce him. Dr. Prasad Akela, founder and CEO of Drishti, is creating his third massive market category that uses technology to extend human capabilities. In the 1990s, Prasad led the General Motors team that built the world's first collaborative robots, or cobots, projected to be a $12 billion market by 2025. In the early 2000s, as co-founder of the social networking pioneer Spoke, he envisioned and helped build the first massive social graph, a category now worth trillions. Today at Drishti, he's working to combine the cognition of AI with the flexibility of humans in factories in the form of AI-powered production. Prasad, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joe, for having me. I'm looking forward to a fun conversation here. I am as well. I, we um, had a had a great sort of pre-call a few weeks back, and uh, I'm really excited about what you guys are doing, and and um, happy to you know, get, get you on the show here to share your insights and um, even some of your product with our listeners here. Cause I think you're, you're a disruptor here and doing some really interesting stuff. So, so Prasad, I can't overlook the fact that you were involved in the development of some of the first cobots with GM earlier in your career. I'd love for you to tell us more about your experience there and how it plays into the conversation that we're about to have today. Yeah, you know, I think the story starts back as an undergrad at the Indian Institute of Technology uh, when I decided to work in robotics. I like this interplay between hardware and software and 
changing behaviors, if you will. And that continued through my PhD at Stanford where I was designing robotic hands. But what happened at GM was that my world turned completely upside down. Uh, OSHA wanted us, wanted to find GM because people were messing up their backs on the production floor. And GM hired me to uh, come in and try and solve the problem. And it's one of those accidents in one's professional career that truly sets direction. And I, I really appreciate that. And so the first thing I learned was management. I had a phenomenal management chain, uh, Jim Wells, Steve Holland, Jamie Sue, Gary Cowger, who ran all of GM manufacturing eventually. And they taught me what good management was. I had some phenomenal colleagues from Northwestern and, and Berkeley that we worked together on. But from a production perspective, from looking at what's happening today at Drishti, what I realized is that there were thousands of people on the plant floor and robotics wasn't anywhere close to replacing that. And so all of us were coming at this mindset, the robotics community, which was the ultimate goal is to chase productivity and quality. And the only way, maybe some thought the primary way was to automate everything and replace people. And what GM taught me was, no, that's just not the only way. In fact, there's a potentially more powerful way, which is you take these 345 million around the world who are working on production floors and empower them. And I think this is probably the biggest takeaway for me that you were getting a path to quality and productivity and flexibility, something that we are seeing here because you put a robotic line down, it used to take a six to 12 months to retool an entire line to build a new car. And when you look at things happening in China where you're making electric skillets and you're making you know, electric boilers, you switch, you tell the people on the line, we're gonna make one or the other and boom, the line is suddenly completely reprogrammed. So I think the message to me was humans are the most awesome machines out there. And our job is to empower them. And Toyota has proven this for 60, 70 years. They have something called automation is what they call it. The idea is that your machine and man work together to do stuff that together that is much harder for each one to do. So, so I think that was probably the single biggest takeaway for me was, you know, everyone from Leonardo da Vinci has known that humans are capable. That just came into my head and that's been the story of my life ever since. So um, when we started with Cobots, uh, we really started empowering them in the physical way, just making physical jobs easier to do. Uh, and then I took a bit of a detour. I went off to build a software company looking at business social networks, uh, you know, essentially, how do you take data, put it in a graph and make it searchable so I can discover a path to Joe Sullivan? I want to be on Joe's talk show. And who can take me to Joe that Joe will take the meeting with me? And today, LinkedIn is the, the prime example of that. But really, at Spoke, we created that. Reed Hoffman saw that six months after us and beat us at our own game. But, you know, well, that's a sad story. We transformed that in, in the white-collar world. So when it came to Drishti, the question that I was asking myself at one level was, how do I take these concepts from the white collar world? How do I take them into the, into the plant floor? And that was really what, for me, General Motors did. It changed my worldview. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's such a smart um, way of, of looking at things that it, you know, it doesn't have to be so dramatic. It doesn't have to be humans or robots, right? Or no technology or all the way in with some technology. You made a great analogy, actually, I think in, a, in our previous conversation, when you referenced the way that you know a spell check function in Microsoft Word 
empowers the human to be more effective, right? Like how, how's that apply in, in this manufacturing environment? Yeah, I mean, let me just continue that example. So you got a spell checker, a grammar checker, right? Mm-hmm. You and I write a lot. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of the grammar spell checker is it helps people like you and me produce artifacts that look almost perfect. But nobody on the outside knows that, you know, that you know, my spelling is terrible or mm-hmm. my grammar isn't the best. The output is what everybody looks at. And that's fantastic for us white collar types. But really for me, it was the question at Drishti was, can I do something similar for the line associate, for the surgeon in the operating theater, and for the pharmacist dispensing medications, right? So the real, if I were to frame it up slightly more abstract is I was looking for a general purpose spell checker or error checker for a range of tasks where people are at work. That was my central motivation to start with. And people think I chose manufacturing because of my background. Actually, I chose it because it was the place where I could find the most repeatable work. Right? We were building a completely new technology. And if the data was also moving, it would be very hard to build a working system. Right? I mean, you think about an operating theater, it's not always the same. The, the different doctors with different styles and the same doctor will perform different surgeries. So just too much variation in the operating theater. But on the plant floor, it's the same product being built. And yes, people are moving, but the basic fundamental geometry and process is the same. So that's really why we went with this. And but one day I, I dream of the situation where we can answer Atul Gawande's request of all operating theaters, follow standard work, because you follow standard work, the outcome in the medical th- operating theater is much higher. If you have fewer deaths, we have fewer errors, concept is still the same. So I think the spell checker is a fantastic analogy for what we do here. It's this notion of assisting people with AI running in the back, people in the front, and together the output, you can tell. I think you've summarized the concept and the idea really well here. Um, I don't uh, often have my guests go a whole bunch in, into their product or service on this show because I don't want it to be a product pitch show or nobody be listening, right? But I'm going to give you the green light here to do exactly that because I want you to um, be able to apply what you've talked about here so far in a tangible setting and tell us how Drishti's technology kind of brings this whole concept to light. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd be glad to do that. So, okay. So the first thing is we can compress space and time. Uh, What you're looking at here is a customer of ours running live in Mexico, but you're sitting in St. Louis. I'm sitting here in Palo Alto and we're together able to look at a line somewhere else in the world. There's almost like Zoom for manufacturing. And, and, if you think about in COVID, times of COVID, people couldn't travel, yet you want, the, you want that data flowing, you want that insight flowing to your people. And so this sort of is a very basic capability that video gives us because video is very, very powerful. In fact, I, I make the case that, you know, there's the adage that says a picture is worth a thousand words. I say a video is worth a million mm-hmm. because of the information content sitting in video. The second reason is, independent of what your background is, you and I can visually tell what's going on. No paper written, no pictures, no interpretation required, no language translations, because video is a universal language. So this is bringing the world to you. Now, a second case that we often run into is you have a a customer calling in and saying, I received a unit and it's defective. And we had the example of Samsung blowing up billions of dollars because they couldn't figure out why phones were blowing up. So let's just assume it was your phone with the serial number that you know, you're reporting in, 
what we can do in our system is essentially YouTube like bring back the video birth certificate of the, your phone being built on the production line. So you can see all the stations here. Prasad, let me let me stop you for a second. I'm gonna just I want to explain to those who are only listening right now, sort of what Prasad has up on screen here. We're essentially looking at he just put in a serial number for say a specific phone, right? And now what we have here is you know, if you can picture um, you know, what it would look like if you were on YouTube and you've got a big video up in the middle and you've got some small videos on the side. We are looking at an actual uh, overhead camera looking down on a production line um, with somebody assembling at that station, correct? You can elaborate on that if you'd like, Prasad, but we're looking at actual footage back from what? what's the date here? August 18, 2020. Okay, great. So the entire, so everything when this production line's running is uh, is essentially captured on video, time-stamped. You can go back even with a serial number and see what's going on. So feel free to elaborate if you'd like, but I want to make sure that anybody who's listening only understands sort of what we're looking at. Yeah, no, thank you for that translation. I'll do that as well. So the, the, the whole story here is that you can retrieve information of past events to do root cause analyses, to figure out what your warranty might look like, warranty exposure might look like, to understand, I made a design change. Did that design change work or did not work? And to be able to pass this information around the entire company so teams can collaborate on visual information. So the whole idea is you, you, we are streaming this video from every station on the floor. We're analyzing it using our, our own proprietary and next generation of computer vision data, uh, models. We're creating video analytics that are searchable that are creating a new data set that you can use to design, to tune, and to optimize your production system on the floor. That's fundamentally what we're doing. So if I take you as an example uh, to, I mean, there's another company here where you can actually look into their lines and you can see this live. Again, you're seeing them produce whatever that they're producing on the plant floor, but all of this you're watching as it is running live and you can actually see people moving around so you can see multiple stations. So you really have even this, almost it's like you're sitting the rafters looking down, watching this whole process flow. Um, what that gives us also is the ability to think about balancing lines. So you can look across multiple stations and ask yourself, how well is this line balanced? Where are my issues? How do I rebalance these lines so that I'm optimizing throughput through my lines? So essentially you're looking at what's called a line balance chart, identifying the bottleneck stations on this chart, and you now know where to take your industrial engineers and focus their attention, which is essentially means that they're getting the data that they would normally run around the floor trying to get. Half the time would be spending, spent trying to get data. And now 100% of their time is being spent fixing problems because the data is being delivered to them. And the last thing I want to show you here uh, is training. It turns out that companies have a huge problem with training. You know, you're getting people coming across from a Walmart as an example. And I want to know what the difference is. How well am I doing against an expert? So what you're seeing here is video, A-B examples of the expert on the left and me on the right. And I can visually start saying, oh, this guy seems to have a knack of doing this well. What's he doing? I can zoom in. I can study the expert doing it. And I can learn from that myself and get much better. So essentially, this raw video is being trained into finding examples of videos for me to look at, for me to analyze, and for me to play with, right? And then I'll, I'll close off uh, with uh, one little example here. 
which is the spell checker analogy that I gave you earlier. So if I look across this customer, it turns out they made 55 errors over 16,000 cycles, which is incredibly good. And if I look at what these guys are doing, they've got these two errors that made on, on May the 12th. And I can actually look at this and say, um, what went wrong? So you can actually see our ability to deconstruct the visual image on the right-hand side, the steps that the operator is going through, right? This is the core of our technology. We call this action recognition. And down below here, you can see why we threw a flag. It turns out this person was supposed to only tighten the, the fuel pipe bottom and the top once each in that sequence. But you can see our system identified it that bottom, top, top, bottom. He's not following standardized procedures. And when you don't, you can introduce errors. You could overtalk that particular uh, pipe and who knows what happens in the field. And there's absolutely no human being in all of this. This is automatically detected by the AI system for the operator, uh, for, for the operator, for the, the company, everybody to, to work off of, right? So this is literally, there's a little iPad hanging there that tells them, hey, you went through the sequence wrong. It sends a trigger downstream to the QA team so they can do a double check on this, this, this engine before it leaves for the, to the customer. That's really amazing. I imagine it becomes really powerful when you start to see patterns in the errors too. And you can say, wow, by correcting this one common error, we can you know, scale our, um, our quality control too, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think that is, that is the power of what we built because essentially by looking across an entire system, we are solving the problem at a system level. Mm -hmm. Most every other computer vision system out there in the world looks at single stations. And we all know in manufacturing that the symptom may show up in one place, but the problem really is elsewhere. So by thinking of videos, video cameras as core infrastructure in the plant, thinking of video data as the next generation, you know, Google figured out what to do with text, uh, Apple and Siri figured out how to mine audio. I think what Drishti has done is figured out how to mine video. And that is the core central story of Drishti is, is taking us to the next level of sensing, of figuring out what scenes and going from there. Yeah, I love that. You know, you you told me um, uh, quite a few stories when we, we first talked about this, but one that stood out to me was um, you talked about a production line worker who was fitting hoses to nozzles at a way faster rate than anybody else. And I think the company looked at it and said, well, how is this particular guy so darn productive? And well, they pull up a video and the, and the, the, the answer was pretty clear, right? You want to tell that story? Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, the story is, is fairly simple. It is uh, the story of data pointing out a particular rotation, a set of rotations where that station was meeting cycle time, in fact, beating cycle time quite dramatically. And every other rotation was having tr trouble trying to make cycle time. And so an investigation discovered that the same, a particular operator on the floor was on those rotations that always made cycle time. And so digging in further into the video, they realized that this, this gentleman would show up with a cup of water and it turns out to be soap water. And so what he was doing was he was dipping the hose in the soap water and then you know, getting it over the nozzle. And it was a breeze for this guy. And there was excitement because now you suddenly realize there's creativity on the plant floor, right? In fact, we call him the brilliant outlier. And most, most of us think of, of people on the floor as fundamentally interchangeable. Now, that's the thing that Henry Ford tried to drill into our heads. 
by making the parts completely replaceable, interchangeable, then people could also become interchangeable. But it turns out humans are very different and we're not quite interchangeable. And you got these people who are very bright, who, who sort of think differently. And so what happened was they realized here's the right way to do it. They made that a standard process across the line and across all of the company. And it actually got the HR team thinking differently. It said, how do we differentiate these kinds of people on the floor? How do we give them promotion paths? How do we put them on the hardest problems that we run into? Because this creative character will solve your problem for you. So it essentially started getting a rethink of people on the floor from multiple perspectives. And that was the exciting part that what appears to be oversight of the human being is actually an, is an opportunity to highlight capabilities, to grow people, and to change how we build stuff on the floor. Yeah, I love that. Well, let's stay on this people topic for a moment here. You know, We are living in a time where employee turnover is at an all-time high. Finding frontline labor has become pretty much the number one challenge for almost every manufacturer I talk to. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about how technology like Drishti's can help manufacturing organizations? You got into this a little bit with um, the, the example of, of, the tra of training, right? But talk about how this can empower manufacturing organizations to help their people be as successful as possible and to you know, help them sort of emulate the, the, the true pros who are maybe are working on those same lines. Yeah. Um, it's funny, there isn't a single phone call with a prospect or a customer where they tell me, you know, that annual labor turnover is between 10 and 30%. And I remember talking to a few Chinese prospects and they're telling me 50% one weekend, golden week, weekend, half the company does not show up on, on the following week, Monday. And, and then they also tell me there's almost always a 10% absenteeism uh, on a daily basis. Mm. So that's a pretty tough, you know, variability, variation to deal with because you want to build product that is absolutely invariable, right? So that's the hard problem that they're all dealing with. So it turns out training is the most fundamental element that helps them deliver. And like I was giving you the example of golf, I mean, Tiger Woods, Prasad, no, no comparison. I'm supposed to look down to hit the ball, but of course I'm drifting off and looking into the distance. And a video recording highlights what I'm doing wrong. Even though the instructors told me look down, I'm instinctively looking forward. And when I see myself doing that two or three times, I can, and I realize, okay, this is what I really need to do. My ability to hit the ball in the right direction, the right range fundamentally changes. I've, I've tried this out myself and I can vouch for that, right? So I think it is this core idea of taking somebody who walked across the street from Walmart because he's being paid $1 more per hour not quite the most dexterous person, not a natural mechanic, and having to first start by teaching them the fundamentals of manufacturing, the fundamentals of assembly, getting them to understand the importance of following sort of the right sequence and getting quality right, and then putting them on the floor. So there's two parts to the training problem. One is before you get on the floor, and the second is on the job feedback, right? This is like on the job as I'm typing, it's one thing to learn how to write in school, the, grammar and all of that, nothing to write an article and have a spell checker running behind you. And I think that is really the huge opportunity sitting in front of us, which is a priori training and on the job training and the use of video and AI to enable that. And, and the results are very stunning. 
Manufacturers typically take six weeks or so to train a new employee. So look at the cost of that. You're losing a third of your workforce. I think six weeks out of 54 weeks, 10% of roughly the time to train them. And then you're gonna lose them again. So what our customers have found is they can cut that six week in half. So in three weeks, you can have somebody up and running because the video is a faster feedback loop. But what's more interesting is even as you cut the time in half, you can reduce the defect rate in half. So you're not trading off the two. Oftentimes, you know, if you shrink the training time, you, the defects on the floor are higher. Here, you're getting shorter training time and reduced defect rates, which is, I think, very fascinating from a business perspective. And, and, and I think that is why I get so excited about all of this. When you start doing the math on what I just described for you, that's huge payback. And I imagine there are things that happen downstream too on the on the employee's side or the worker's side where you walk into a job, you understand what you're supposed to do, you can learn faster, you gain confidence, you get good feedback, you feel more secure in your job, um, you feel better about coming to work, and all these things are are huge. And um, you know, when you, when you look at the challenges companies are having with retention and getting people to show up. So some of that stuff may not show up in a spreadsheet, at least immediately, but probably have a really long-term positive long-term effect on employee wellness, happiness, retention, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, if you take the, this example, I gave you of the, of the hose and the, and the soap water. Mm -hmm. Now, essentially what's happening is that you're getting the, the frontline empowered to actually redo what the process is. It's not an industrial engineer sitting somewhere in headquarters or telling you what to do. It is you educating them and saying, this is the better way to do it. And you know, one of the things, the nice things about this data is that you can actually conduct experiments. So go to the core concept of, of continuous improvement in lean. Typically you run a Kaizen event once a, once a year, maybe once a quarter. But what we're really saying with this digital measurement technique is that you can run it every shift, right? So you're compressing time again, which means you get an exponential benefit from that. Any change you make, you can test it, you can validate it, and you can either reject it or accept it and start seeing the benefits right away, which is completely different than trying to automate, putting a robot on it. It takes you multiple months to get the robot there, multiple weeks to get it up and going. Here, you can conduct experiments all the time because of human ingenuity and, and our ability to measure, which I think just returns you know, gives the company returns almost right away. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're shifting that whole thing. That's why when I started, I said the light bulb went off for me at GM, that if I can get the 345 million people empowered to do stuff, we will see very different productivity levels. In fact, it makes it possible for America, as an example, to start sort of reshoring work. You take the skills of the people, their ability to communicate, their ability to interpret data, and now you suddenly start offsetting you know, the behavior. So in fact, one of our customers was telling us a 3% improvement in quality more than pays off the labor cost differential between the US and anywhere else in the world. So if you can give, if I can give them a 3% lift in quality, and I just told you I could give as much as 50%, it's, it's a whole different ballgame uh, from supply chain network design, you know, do you really want to be in China? Can you do it in America? Can you, all of that equation that everybody's looking at in the face of COVID suddenly changes. Yeah, that's really powerful. Prasad, I've, I heard you reference um, in our last conversation, the Moneyball story that many of us know about how the 2002 Oakland A's team, I believe it was, was constructed. How's that apply here? 
Yeah, I mean, if I if I run with that example that you gave, they had the, a young Harvard MBA show up and the A's were up broke. They wanted to build a good team. And this guy went around the different scouting events and he realized that the scouts were measuring people with the wrong yardstick. So as an example, there was 10 measurements every player had to go through, had how fast you can run, how fast you can hit, how fast you can throw a ball. But how fast you can throw a ball doesn't matter if you're if you're aiming to be a, a batter, you're trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark, how fast you can throw the ball is irrelevant. What matters is the pitcher knows should know how to how fast the ball is and how much to move the ball. The batter doesn't need to know that. So the, the revelation he had was, if I can take specialists at a lower price in his case and construct a team, I can get a fantastic output. So that's the concept that we are taking back into Drishti is saying, if I know that Joe specializes, naturally is inclined to the tasks in stations one, five, and eight, and Prasad is good at two, four, and seven, and others, Brandon is good at whatever else, now the system can automatically allocate the right people to the right tasks. So you're the batter, I'm the, I'm, I'm the pitcher, and, and he's, the, he's the catcher, right? And so suddenly you're constructing a team based on what's available to you. And you're not asking any member of the team to do something that you know, it's hard for them to do. In fact, you're doing the opposite. You're making, giving them as assignments that are easy for them, that they're good at. And the natural output of this is higher productivity, higher quality, just like the A's were able to do very well. And so it is this concept. This is what's truly exciting about what we're doing here is that we are essentially using math, we're using data to help reconstruct teams in the face of absenteeism, in the face of, uh, of labor churn, so that the end product comes out absolutely perfect. Um, there's a lot of math. I mean, if you think about logistics where you, you apply a lot of linear algebra and, and constrained optimization techniques and such like, all of that math is waiting to be applied here on this new data set that Drishti has created. Prasad, this has really been great. Is there anything you'd like to add to this conversation that I did not ask you about? I think we're sitting on the frontier of something new. I, I believe that in the not too distant future, cameras will be an ubiquitous on every plant floor everywhere. And the world will start seeing, and I, <laughs> I play a play of words on, on seeing uh, from all of this data. And we will transform manufacturing in a very fundamental way, you know, Henry Ford and, and Frederick Taylor got us going one way. Uh, I think this is the next big leap. And I can't wait to see all of that transformation happen on the floor. And I invite your listeners uh, who are curious, want to talk to us to call us up. Uh, it's drishti.com, D-R-I-S-H-T-I.com, or drop me mail uh, and uh, love to chat with them. Well, beautiful. You kind of got to my night. My last question, Prasad, which is what's the best way to get in touch with you? I know you just mentioned Drishti and I think um, you can maybe request a demo there. Is that correct um, for anybody interested? Absolutely. You can, yeah, you can request a demo. You can write, put, send an email to info at drishti.com and somebody will get back to you and, and would love to engage. Beautiful. Well, thanks for doing this. This was super interesting. I love what you guys are doing. I think it's, um, you, I, I completely agree that you are at the front of something huge that is probably going to be common practice at some point. And um, so thanks for what you're doing in, in the manufacturing sector. My pleasure. Uh, like I said, 
I just happened to fall in the footsteps of something interesting here and and uh, wait, can't wait to see what the future holds. Well, thanks again, Prasad. Thank you, Joe, for giving me this opportunity. And as for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of the Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.